This is the Hungarian Politics Podcast for June 9th, 2016. Great to have you with us today. I'm Steve Nelson, and this is the podcast that takes a look at Hungarian politics from several different aspects. Today we're going to examine just one of those in depth, an issue that's been in the news repeatedly over the past year and a half or so, not just here in Hungary, but worldwide as well. And that's the huge number of refugees that have been trying to enter Europe from its southern borders. As an attempt to accommodate and regulate the flood of refugees trying to enter Hungary's border, and thus the borders of the Schengen countries, Hungary set up two so-called transit zones near the towns of Tompa and Ruske, with a third one planned near the town of Ashothalom. These are places where refugees gather on the Serbian side and wait to be processed for claims of asylum on the Hungarian side. But what is the situation like down in these transit zones, where violent clashes broke out last year? How many people are coming through these places, and how is the Hungarian government coping with the situation? And finally, how is domestic politics shaping and influencing the issue? We're going to listen to an extended interview with one journalist who has been to the transit zones several times, and hear her first-hand perspective on the situation. At each transit zone, you have about 100 or 150 people waiting outside. Uh, there is hardly any running writer, uh, any toilets. I mean, there is nothing. It's, it looks like a camp because you have tents and you have people that are technically living here for days. That's coming up a little later in the program. But first, for our lead story, we're going to talk with someone actively working with the present refugee situation here in Hungary and the region. The UNHCR is a United Nations agency that helps deal with refugees and asylum seekers around the world. I caught up with Babar Baluch, the spokesperson for UNHCR in Central Europe, who works here in Budapest. I wanted him to tell me about the UN's perspective on the situation, and in particular what the Hungarian government could do to improve the refugee situation on the Hungarian-Serbian border and handle the flood of people who want to enter the borders of the EU. Babar Baluch, it's great to have you as our guest today. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on this podcast. Thank you. Can you tell us briefly what specifically the UNHCR is responsible for in Central Europe and how your agency is helping with the current situation of refugees coming into Hungary? UNHCR is the United Nations Refugee Agency. Our work and our mandate, which we have been tasked with by the United Nations of the world, all the member states of the UN, is protecting the rights and well-being of refugees all over the, the world. And also we try to make sure that everyone enjoys the right to seek asylum and, and find safety and refuge when they have to run away from wars and, and persecution. But also with that, we deal with internal displacement as well. It means if uh, there are people who are fleeing conflict and becoming displaced within the, the borders of their countries, we help them as well. With that also, uh, UNHCR looks after the stateless people also, uh, as, as a lot of people are born into a situation of statelessness without any nationality. 
or they end up in their situation. So that's the mandate that UNHCR works with. In Central Europe, we are here to make sure that those desperate who are running away from wars and persecution and trying to seek safety in Europe, including the territories and the countries of Central Europe, they are provided the due protection, care and safety, which has been guaranteed under international and European laws. There's still many coming every day and amassing at the Serbian-Hungarian border. So how many are coming here and what is the situation like there? Yes, what we have seen since last year in Europe and uh, in Central Europe as well is that as the number of displaced, forcibly displaced, who people who are forced out of their homes and countries is on the rise, the number of those who are trying to come to Europe and ask for compassion, help, humanity and support has been on the rise as well. So since last year we have seen over a million refugees and asylum seekers who have come, majority of them from countries like Syria, Afghanistan, Iraq, other trouble spots of, uh, of the world. Uh, now, for those who are arriving in Central Europe, especially in, in Hungary, it's a small number of 100 people at least a day who come across the Hungarian fence at the Serbian border. Uh, so this is an irregular entry. And then those who are waiting at Hungary's border with Serbia and who can officially come and ask for asylum at two points at Roske and at Tompa, they are 15 to 17 only that Hungary allows them. It's a very tough and restrictive approach while there are hundreds of women and children and sick who wait day and night to be allowed regularly in train to Hungary for, to access asylum. What happens to these people once they reach the transit zones and what happens to those that get through? What has been happening is those refugees who come to the official border points at Troske or at Tampa, uh, they have to wait for, for days in terms of before being ac- allowed access in. Uh, I mean, one case where my colleagues saw uh, someone after 45 days of wait that this person was allowed to access asylum in the European Union, which effectively is Hungary, because that's a European border as well. So it, it's a dire situation for the, all these individuals who have to wait. Once you come in, daily these 15, 17 asylum seekers were allowed in, then Hungary has a very restrictive policy and approach towards refugees as asylum seekers. And and this is very worrying and concerning uh, for us because whoever needs asylum and comes asking for asylum should be put through an efficient system. There shouldn't be restrictive measures like fences which shouldn't be there anyway for a refugee population. Uh, refugees are human beings who are fleeing wars and conflict and desperate situation. And as human beings, we should be compassionate towards them and try to care for them. So it's not an easy process for them as well. So effectively, when you come in this transit zone, you're uh, in the Hungarian custody till the time they decide if they, they will allow you to be moved into an open reception center or they will reject your case as a refugee because you're coming to Serbia and according to the new Hungarian rule, which we, we as UNICEF don't agree with, that Serbia is a safe country. 
Uh, yesterday, May 30th, the government news agency MTI reported that the Hungarian Interior Ministry made a statement uh, which stated that the majority of those arriving to the transit zones are not Syrian nationals, but are economic migrants coming from safe countries. That was a statement from the Hungarian Interior Ministry yesterday. What do you think of this position? Hungary has an obligation under international and European laws for all those who come try to seek asylum in Hungary to provide access to them. Since last year, what we have seen that the majority of those who are coming into Europe are from the world's top 10 refugee producing countries. To name uh, some, you have Syrians uh, there, you have people from Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, you have people from Pakistan as well, and in some other countries also. But it's important that asylum seekers are taken through a process to determine who is a refugee and who is not a refugee. It can't be based on facial features, background, or nationality. It's a basic human right which is guaranteed under international and, and European laws. Hungarian government recently announced that a third transit zone will soon be set up in Ashot Halom. Do you think this will be an adequate remedy to the problem or at least help things out a little bit? For us as UNICEF, we remain really concerned uh, about the Hungary's restrictive approach, which currently puts asylum seekers in a very dire situation outside the two transit zones. I mean, currently there are, as I said, 15 to 17 uh, asylum seekers are admitted daily at each zone. So they need to build up more capacity in terms of for hundreds of those asylum seekers who are waiting to access asylum regularly in Hungary. But it has to be done in a systematic way where the approach is to help the refugees, not to deter refugees from coming to Hungary or trying to shift this refugee crisis somewhere else. And sadly, this is what we have seen since last year. So if you're a refugee and you have fled wars and persecution and you come to Hungary, the official approach doesn't make you feel very welcome here. What other kinds of steps is UNHCR advocating that the Hungarian government can do specifically to help solve the refugee crisis? We are asking for understanding, for compassion, for humanity from the Hungarian government and at large uh, from the Hungarian public as well. Understand why refugees are coming here. Try to see who these desperate people are. They're not the ones the way they are being portrayed in the official campaigns here in, in Hungary. I have met and seen seen a lot of desperate women and children and men for whom running away from their home countries was the only choice. And that was the only thing which saved their life. So you don't become a refugee by choice, but because you are forced to. There's no other way out. So in the name of humanity, beyond color and religion and, and geographic location, we're asking Hungary to understand this issue and also try to be part of a common approach in Europe, which helps all the European Union countries to deal with this refugee crisis according to international and European laws. Turning away refugees or shutting the door on refugees is not a choice. It shouldn't be the choice. And also 
trying to create fear in name of refugees is not correct. We, as human beings, fear will not take us too far. Compassion will. Do you think that Hungarian domestic politics is getting in the way or helping solve the refugee crisis in this part of Europe? It breaks our heart to see that politics at times is played with the subject which just deals with humanity on basis of human to human. Let's have a look at the institution of asylum. This has been developed by human beings centuries ago. And this is a noble institution, which means a human being, whenever is in need of help and support or of refuge, that will be provided. And this has been the tradition. Then this has become the laws and the norms. And we have seen that through this noble human gesture, humanity has been able to save millions and millions of lives. And that institution needs to be solidified. It needs to be kept. Because as humans, when we see someone in distress, the only thing we would do before checking the names and thinking about the color of the skin or the religion, will step forward to help. So humanity has to live and win over here. And when we see politics being played on this issue, where fear is being instilled in, in the mind of the of the citizens in name of the refugees, that's not fair. I think we need to sort of uh, stop for a while and just think as common, normal human beings. What would we do if war or persecution forces us out of our homes and, and countries. And Hungarians have been through it in 1956. Babar Baluch is the regional spokesperson for UNHCR in Central Europe. Babar Baluch, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on the show. And to get another perspective on this issue, I asked a foreign correspondent who has been reporting on the story for some time to share her thoughts on the refugees and the situation at the transit zones with us. Hélène Bienvenu is a freelance journalist who has written for a number of French and English language media, such as the New York Times and La Croix. She's currently writing a story on the situation at the Hungarian transit zones for Le Figaro, and I asked her to tell us about her experiences there and what she learned talking to the people she encountered. So, Elen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I know that you visited the refugee transit zone down in Ruska a few days ago. What exactly were you doing there? Yeah, so I went there last weekend for a piece that I was doing. I was actually writing two different pieces for two French uh, newspaper magazine. And it was my first time back at the border zone after uh, I left, uh, on like, towards the end of September. I had a specific need. I wanted to see those places that were so crowded last year and also that were so violent because I was uh, at the border crossing in Reske Horgos uh, when the special forces, Hungarian special forces started to beat the crowd. So, I mean, I was there for work and I was there also for myself. (laughs) 
Can you tell us a little bit about what happened in that situation? Were you there before it started and you witnessed the whole thing? Yeah, um, I was actually working for the New York Times at the time, around mid-September. And basically, they they hired me for two weeks. I was reporting uh, almost around the clock on whatever ha- was happening at the border. And I was based in Ruske. And I was on the Serbian side. I was in Horgos on September 16th when it was the second day, or it was the first day, actually, after the border got officially closed. And there was a big crowd of people, around 1,500, maybe 2,000 people were there waiting, migrants. They thought the border would open again. And, you know, they started to activate themselves, to ask the police, the Hungarian police on the other side, to open the door um, because they were refugees and they wanted to go through Hungary. And this, of course, never happened. I mean, the Hungarian authorities were not in a position and they never wanted to grant passage to anyone there. So, I mean, basically, it just started to heat up and some young guys, I saw them, they were mostly young people, they started to throw, you know, stones, whatever they could find at the border on the Hungarian side towards the crowd, the police crowd. And then after uh, a point, I mean, there were several episodes, but there was, of course, paper spray. But at one point, the police, the Hungarian police and special forces seemed to have backed on the Hungarian side and left a little ground on the Serbian side. I mean, it felt like there was a door that was open and basically migrants just started to rush towards that little space that got freed and most of them were thinking that oh finally the door is open we we can go and so families with babies but of course single men as well uh, rushed in there i was just at the back of the crowd Uh, i was with my editor uh, from the new york times and we felt that it was not the right time for us to go <laughs> to join the crowd. Just uh, like half a minute later, we saw the crowd, the migrant crowd back, like backing towards us, uh, rushing towards us because they got rejected on the Hungarian side. And some of them were bleeding. Uh, a lot of people were like totally blind with the paper spray and everything. We got paper spray as well, but like we we're totally fine. I was just in the middle of that. And this, this it's what I saw. Yeah. And uh, basically some people among this crowd, uh, including one guy that I saw, who had a megaphone and was trying to communicate with the Hungarian side, they are on trial in Seged, well, more or less for terrorist acts or for being suspected of terrorist acts or against the state of Hungary. So, yeah, that's what I saw. So this was in September of last year, and mm-hmm. you were just there in a couple of days ago, as you mentioned, end of May. And how yeah. has it changed? It, it has changed in a lot of ways because all the places that used to be empties, all the facilities, there was a camp in Reske and the smaller border crossing that was used for processing people and asking them to give their identity and everything. This is totally empty. I mean, it, it feels eerie, it feels empty when it was really absolutely crowded about a year ago. 
And in India, the two border crossings, they are back and they will function normally when they were both of them stopped, of course, uh, at the time I was there last time. And now, of course, the fence is everywhere, which is the uh, difference from May last year when I was also there at the time. Basically, this time as I was back to do some new stories on the current situation at the Serbian-Hungarian border, basically I saw the two transit zones, the one at Kalebia, Tompa, and the one at Roske Horgos. Uh, of course, the transit zone are on the Hungarian territory. I mean, it's a little bit tricky because uh, officially it's an extraterritorial zone, like a, an airport, so it doesn't really belong to Hungary, but still, it's somehow on the Hungarian territory. And then you have the fence just after the transit zone, and then you have the Serbian side, and it's all in the middle of the border crossing. I mean, on the side of the border, of the two border crossing, the one at Kalebia and the one uh, at Reske, so it's like big international border crossings. And basically, until recently, until a few weeks ago, there were hardly anybody queuing there. I mean, of course, you had uh, always some people coming to ask asylum safely because that's the one of the only few places where you can do it if you come from outside of Hungary and you're, you're an asylum seeker. But the difference now is that you have people waiting outside of those transit zones on the Serbian side, and you have about like 30, 40 tents on each side, so um, at the two points, and people wait, they're waiting for days and sometimes weeks until the door finally opens for them to enter the transit zone and to officially ask for asylum or at least meet an officer, Hungarian officer, that will tell him or her if she or he qualifies for asylum in Hungary. So that's the way it looks for now. You have like at each transit zone, you have about 100 or 150 people waiting outside. There is hardly any running writer any toilets there. I mean, there is nothing. It's, it looks like a camp because you have tents and you have people that are technically living here for days. And it looks like nobody wants to really care about them in the way that the Serbian size doesn't want them to be here because they are queuing for accessing Hungary. So Serbia mm. has nothing to do with it. And Hungary, of course, doesn't want to do anything because it's on the Serbian side. So, and, you know, it's not their problem. So there was just at the moment when I was there, just at the same time, there was announced that the government, Hungarian government, would open a third transit zone in Oshotelam, mm. which is uh, between those two transit zones right now. So I don't know if people will have to queue less because they will start to be redirected to the third transit zone or not. But for the moment, yeah, you have like an informal camp, which starts to bother a little bit everyone there. And everybody's talking about a new Indomeni and nobody wants it. You're writing a story, as I understand, for Le Figaro. What is the focus of this story going to be about and when is it going to come out? Sure. Well, it's it's not a big story. I mean, it's just a, it's an on-the-ground story to 
Well, to tackle about this phenomenon of this informal camp that got formed at those two transit zones, I mean, what are the perspectives and why, how come that uh, started, that it was, that, that it got to formed? And yeah, it's a general piece about also asking the police in Steget uh, what has been done in terms of... Um, <clears throat> Border protection, because you have those two phenomena at once, which is the the legal way to ask asylum is to go through the, those transit zones. But you also have people that, of course, either they're desperate or either they just don't want to wait for days and they want to go through the fence, which is a crime, according to the Hungarian law right now. So you still have people trying every day to cut the fence and paying for smugglers to go inside, which is the illegal way. So and those two phenomena, I mean, they keep intersecting because sometimes people are desperate of waiting and they get tempted by some smugglers to go illegally. So they just pay and try to go through. But it really... Uh, seems to be extremely hard to go the illegal way right now. I mean, the chances that you get successful are reduced to almost nothing. I mean, there are a few people a day, of course, that still manage to get on the hangar side, but you have the fence, but you have hundreds of soldiers and policemen, you have drones, helicopters, paper spray and many other means that are used by the Hungarian police and army on the other side, basically the best and safe way is still to wait at the transit zone. The Hungarian Interior Ministry issued a statement a few days ago saying that the majority of those arriving to the transit zones are not Syrian nationals, but economic migrants coming from safe countries. Did you get that feeling? What kind of stories did people tell you? Yeah, um, no, it's not, of course, it's not at all the feeling I got. I talked to some group of Pakistanis, I talked to a few Afghans, and in Kelebia, at the transit zone in Kelebia, the day I was there, there, there was a high majority of, of actually Syrians, which I was really surprised by. So Syrians haven't disappeared of course, I mean, the demographics of the two transit zones, I mean, the two camps outside the two transit zones change almost daily. So the, the day I was there in Ravke Horgosh, the people that were waiting were mostly from Afghanistan. When in Kelebia, they were, it was a big mix of people, but a lot of Syrians. Um, of course, basically, you know, the people you interview they will never tell you that they are economic migrants. So it's Sometimes they are. I mean, and again, it's a big debate. Who is an economic migrant who really needs protection? But even the young guys I are interviewed from Pakistan, you know, they were very clear in the way that they felt threatened by the Islamists in Pakistan. There was this father also from Afghanistan that I meet. He worked for the UN and NATO later on. So at the moment where you work for one of those two, I mean, you're on the blacklist for the Taliban, and it's pretty much uh, sure that you will end up being killed. So he mm. was basically running for his life with his two little, well, one little boy, and also his wife was pregnant. 
and the wife was already on the Hungarian side and he was still waiting on the Serbian side. So it's not at all the feeling you get. Basically, I mean, it, I heard also that it's because the Syrians could still go through the Balkan route, but since it's been closed, basically Hungary is now the only way that you can still go up north and towards the west and through Schengen. It's still the first Schengen door that you can access when you exit the Balkans. This is a podcast about politics, specifically Hungarian politics. So did you get the feeling that Hungarian domestic politics was influencing the refugee situation at all, helping or hurting in any way? Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it has a direct influence. All those messages, those paid campaigns, billboards by the government, you know, I was hearing this radio advertisement paid by the government to reject the resettlement quota. I mean, at the end of the day, this has an influence on public opinion, whether you want it or not, because still a lot of people, the only way that they get informed on whatever happens in Hungary is when they turn on the TV, whether it's public or and it's in some places, you only get public TV when it's far away, you know. So, I mean, I've seen that among my neighbors in Budapest, that how the, their own opinion changed at the beginning when last year, back in May, when they received this questionnaire on immigration and terrorism, and they asked me at the time, oh, what should I reply? This looks weird, and look at these questions. And now I feel like they are, oh, well, the government was right in warming us that Terrorism can be linked to immigration, and if you don't get control of your immigration, then you get overflowed by terrorists. So this, I mean, clearly there is a, a big effect on that. And of, of course, then the decision taken by the central power to have people waiting and not to put any public toilet or anything on the Serbian side in agreement with Serbia, this is also a result of decisions taken. Because if you start acknowledging there is a camp, there are people waiting, then of course the Hungarian authorities, they fear that more people would come and then their public, Hungarian public opinion will turn against them and say, look, you're helping, you know, <laughs> basically migrants that we hate. So, yeah, that's the situation right now. Well, Ellen, this has been a really fantastic interview, and I'm, I'm so glad to get a firsthand account of the situation down there. And I'm sure this will continue to be an issue and a story for a while. So I hope to have you back on again in sure. a few months, maybe, and to get an update. Yeah, that would of be wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Great. Well, I've been following basically the crisis since March last year. So I was among the first one to go on the, like into Subotica to check what was going on there. And like, I haven't been there all the time, but I've been there regularly. So. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. We really appreciate it. Stay safe. And we hope to see you. Well, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, you're, you're really welcome. And that's the show for the week. 
A big thanks to Babar Baluch, the UNHCR spokesperson, and journalist Hélène Bienvenu for taking the time to share their thoughts and experiences with us. You can and should follow Babar Baluch on Twitter at I-B-A-B-R-B-A-L-O-C-H and Hélène Bienvenu at B-I-E-N-V-E-N-U-L-N. I'll have links to those in the post for this show on our website. And hey, why not follow me on Twitter, too? I'm at Nelson Stephen D. We'd love to get your feedback and comments, good or bad, about the show. Send an email to info at hungarianpolitics.com. There's also a contact form that you can use on hungarianpolitics.com. That's what you prefer. And if you want to rate us on iTunes and leave a review there, too, that would be fantastic. This show is produced by me, Steve Nelson. Our music is Retro Future Clean by Kevin MacLeod from Incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Thank you for downloading and listening to the show, and we hope to have you here again next week at the Hungarian Politics Podcast. Mm-hmm.